Very warm welcome to all of you here this evening to our service. Welcome if you're joining online too. Uh, if you're using a telephone service, welcome to our service here this evening. And our, our theme this evening, we're looking back in 2 Corinthians, uh, carrying on that series. And we'll be thinking about weakness, Paul's weakness, and John will be preaching from that passage. And our hymns, our songs this evening have a, uh, a close link with that. And our first uh, hymn this evening, read verse to my heart is filled with thankfulness to him who walks beside, who floods my weaknesses with strength and causes fear to fly. Let's stand to sing this. join together in prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we uh, continue in that theme of thankfulness, giving praise to you, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you have blessed us with so much. We receive so much at your hand in our daily lives of blessings more than we can number. Lord, we owe everything that we have to you, our very existence, our lives, our daily needs, our faculties, our families, our jobs, our homes, the peace and safety that we enjoy, the food and drink that we have plenty of, the warmth and shelter. And Lord, we could go on and on and we are indebted to you for your wonderful mercy toward us as we live in your world, a world that we have lived in in rebellion against you and yet you patiently show your love to all of your creation and provide for them. Lord, we thank you 
that we receive your goodness in this way. And who would have thought that through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, your son, so much would flow out of that for us. Not just that you would bear with us, but that you would pour out your love upon us and your wonderful grace that removes our sin and places on us the righteousness of your beloved Son. That you have given us grace for every day and strength for all of our weakness and eternal life with you. Lord, we are surrounded, we are filled with so many blessings and we thank you for your wonderful grace towards us. And Lord, we confess as we sang this morning, if you'd not loved us first, we would still refuse you. And Lord, we owe it to your amazing grace that you called us. And Lord, if you'd left us to ourselves, we had not the initiative to choose you. We had not the initiative um, or the life within us to place our trust in Christ. Lord, you've done it all for us. You've given us faith. You've saved us by grace. You loved us first. And there are great mysteries within that, but one thing is very clear. And we can be in no doubt when we look at the cross that you so loved the world that you gave your only beloved son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Oh Lord, we, we thank you. And if we've become too used to this wonderful news, Lord, warm our hearts with your love once again. If we've wandered away from these wonderful truths that should fill us with great joy, Lord, then draw us back. In your mercy, have patience with us. And as we're so similar to the children of Israel in their outward rebellion and constant disappointing you in their walk with you, Lord, we, we're no different. And we pray that in your grace and mercy, you draw us back to you. That we'll be full of the joy of the Lord, that it will be our strength, and that we will live lives that honour you. Lord, how we thank you for this morning and your work in Izzy's life. Lord, thank you for saving her. Thank you for bringing us to this point of openly showing to the world around that she belongs to you and follows you. Lord, we pray for all of our young folk here who are Christians. Lord, we ask that you would greatly strengthen them in their faith. Lord, that you'd help them as they face the world around them, which is uh, openly antagonistic to the gospel and openly pursuing uh, a life of godlessness with all the temptations, with all that there is to lead astray. Lord, I pray that you would guard our young Christians, that you'll greatly strengthen them. That every day, as with all of us, we will, we will see the great armour of God that you've provided for us and by faith put it on. That we will we'll fight bravely. That we'll fight against sin seriously. That we'll fight and endure. And that we will do all for the honour of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you've, you've given up everything for us. You've pulled us out of the pit and pulled us, placed us into your kingdom. Lord, help us to live lives that honour you because the world looks at us and as your people they come to a conclusion of what 
Christianity is about, of who Jesus is and what it is to be a Christian. And Lord, we, we do such a poor job of, of showing the world the love of Jesus. But Lord, transform us, renew us in our heart and mind and in commitment to you. Lord, we pray for our students who've gone back to uni. Lord, we pray for those who don't know you. We pray, we thank you that uh, no one is ever out of your reach. And Lord, like the, the good shepherd, would you go and find lost sheep, we pray, and bring them into your fold. Well, again, we pray for those who are believers. And in a similar way, we ask that you'd, you'd bless them and make them strong as Christians. Oh Lord, we, we daily need your help. We daily need your strength. Lord, without you, we literally can do nothing. And we say now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all that all might see. The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransomed life in any way you choose. And let my song forever be my only boast is you. Lord, may we be so in love with the Lord God that he is our all, he is our everything, he is our ambition, our aim, our focus. Oh Lord, we get so caught up with the world around us. Lord, forgive us and help us, we pray. Lord, we commit to you this coming week and we pray for Josh and Jade and ask that you'll bless them. In the next few days, a week or so, we, we pray that you'd help Jade and deliver her safely through childbirth. Lord, bless that little family at this time, we pray. Lord, we ask that you'd give help to John as he takes the funeral on Wednesday of Mags, who just lived over the road. And we pray for that gospel opportunity and ask that you'd help him in that very limited amount of time to speak. And uh, we pray that good will come out of that sad time. We commit to you Thursday as well as we prayed this morning. And Lord, we, we have so much to ask you for that time. We especially pray you'd help Steve Reese as he leads that funeral. And we pray you'd help him to lead people in their grief to Christ and to the Lord, the God of all comfort. And Lord, we pray that you'll be all that is needed to those who grieve at this sad time. Lord, we ask for much more than that. We pray that out of this, out of a seed being buried in the ground, will come life, will come glory to you. Lord, we pray that people will hear your call of warning of the brevity and fragility of life. We pray that people will hear the gospel call to repent and believe. Lord, we ask that you'd wake people up. You'd wake us up as Christians. We'd be more serious about living for you and meeting you. Lord, we, we pray for other events in our church life. We, we thank you for home groups coming up on Thursday. We ask that that would be a time of great encouragement, fellowship in our different groups. Help those who lead. And Lord, we pray that would Invest in that time with each other to learn, to grow, uh, and to grow in our community together. We pray too for the Sunday School Party, help Luke and Leah organising that on Saturday. We do thank you for the Sunday School. Thank you for John and Steph, for the teachers, 
We ask that you'd, as we move into this year, that you'd greatly strengthen them. Give them that enthusiasm to serve you and the, the joy of serving you too. Lord, do help them at this time. Bless all of our children. We ask you to watch over them. We pray that they will grow in knowledge and you'll give them great faith to believe in you in time. We pray for each other here and our different responsibilities in life. Pray for those who lead schools and teach in schools. We pray for our NHS workers, for those who care in home settings and for those who parent, raise children, for those who are in whatever stage of life, Lord, we pray for your help. We pray that where we're at at this point, we will serve you faithfully. And Lord, we pray that if we need your guidance as the future seems uncertain for us, help us to trust in you. Help us to live by your word and see you leading us, we pray. Lord God, bless us each. We ask that as John preaches from this passage, be a great encouragement to us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to sing our our second hymn, and it's about God giving us his strength, his grace, his love without limit, and how much we need that. He gives us more strength. When the burdens grow greater, he sends us more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he adds his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. Bible reading now, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 
That's page 969 if you're using the Church Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to read verse 16 through to 12, verse 13. I don't know about you, but with these letters that Paul writes, I must admit sometimes I'm not quite sure at first glance what Paul is actually saying um, uh, in, in some of the things that we've been reading. So it's so helpful to look at this, and we're, I'm looking forward to John preaching from this to give us a clearer insight into another part of God's word. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 16. I repeat, no, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves, For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labours, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. That God and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast... I would not be a fool, 
For I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have been a fool. You forced me to it. For I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favoured than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Well, let's sing our next hymn. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. We go not forth alone against the foe.
Well, our theme this evening is uh, weakness. Weakness. In some ways, it it might seem a a strange title. Be nicer, perhaps, to talk about strength or power or control or influence or dominance. But our theme is weakness. We're back in 2 Corinthians. I've enjoyed going through 2 Corinthians. There's a bit, been a bit here and there over recent months in the evening. I hope you've been able to stay with us. We're probably on the last two now. I'm hoping that perhaps I can finish uh, 2 Corinthians next week because when we've got five Sunday evenings on the trot with others preaching, Mark doing quite a few of them. And as we look at the passage we've got this evening, which cuts into two chapters here in chapter 11 and chapter 12, uh, the main theme running through it, or a main theme running through our passage, is that of weakness. It comes up nine times in our passage. In fact, it's a theme that comes up a a lot in 2 Corinthians. We were were there really at the outset when we started 2 Corinthians, and we were in chapter 1, and we'd only got to verse 8. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. We'll come across it next week in chapter 13. In fact, we will dip into that a little bit by the end of our message this evening. And en route, we've come across the theme of clay jars, which has been a theme about weakness. Do you feel weak in some ways? You're probably a bit sensitive about it. We usually are. We don't naturally like to uh, realise or face up to our weakness. Perhaps you feel uh, weak um, intellectually. You didn't do as well as others at school and you feel a little bit raw about it at times, a bit inadequate. Uh, Perhaps it's physical You've not had the health of others, you weren't as good at sport as others, you were one of the last to be picked in the playground for the football teams. Maybe you feel you've got growing limitations and disabilities, and that's been hard. Perhaps you feel weak socially, many of us do. You don't have the gift of the gab, you're daunted by mixing with people, talking to people. You just seem to make such a mess of it. Perhaps you feel weak mentally. Your frame of mind is one that's often quite weak. You're often low. You don't seem to have the resilience of others. You're prone to depression. Well, we do tend to feel sensitive, don't we, about our weaknesses. We tend to try and gloss over them. Uh, we don't really want others to notice them. We perhaps try not to notice them ourselves. We find it too hard. Well, the bad influences at Corinth didn't seem to have much time for weakness. Uh, they'd already said of Paul in chapter 10 and verse 10, 
For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. See how culture like that? Not much time for weakness? Well, not in every way. There is a lot of attention these days, provision for people with their struggles, physically, mentally. So we can be thankful for that element in our culture. But there can still be a lot that's macho about our culture, all about success, all about achievement, in looking up on Google for a suitable image uh, uh, for, for this evening. They came up with a group of images under show no weakness. Show no weakness. And there can be that, that prevailing aspect and attitude in our culture and that can infiltrate the church. A feeling that everyone is sorted, that everyone is in good shape, that we just don't do weakness. Well, this passage is going to help us this evening because it does do weakness and it does address weakness. And I think that this is a passage which can actually transform our approach to weakness, our approach to our own weaknesses. I think this has got great potential this evening if we really take this on board and God blesses it to us. That's an unusual passage, as uh, John referred to. It'd be good to have it open on your app or your Bible or, or whatever so that you can see where we're going at different points. Um, uh, perhaps you found it difficult to get a, a handle on it. It's sometimes called um, Paul's fool's speech. The word fool comes up seven times in the passage that we read. There's lots of irony in it. And that can be made, make it hard to understand. He's quite ironic in the way he's saying things. He says at one point that he's speaking as a fool. Verse 21. I am speaking as a fool, he says later in that verse. In some ways, it is, I think, a, a boasting competition. A posting competition. Oh, if you've seen a boasting competition, boasting competitions these days usually are, are most obvious in children. We're a bit more subtle about it. So it might be a, I've got a new bike and it's got five gears. Well, that's nothing. I've got ten gears on my bike. Ah, yeah, but my bike's got lights on the pedals. Well, that's nothing. My helmet's got lights that flash. Ah, yeah, but my dad said that we got the bike from the best shop in the county. Ah, but my dad says we got it from the best bike shop in the country. And you have a boasting competition. Well, the the influencers at Corinth were clearly big boasters. And it might surprise you that, in a way, rather reluctantly, Paul enters into a boasting match with the Corinthians and those who have been influencing them. You see that in 11 and verse 18. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. I'm joining in. And boasting keeps coming up in the passage. 
So if, you, if your eyes sort of train on the word boast over this uh, passage that we've read, you'll probably find it comes up about 13 times. It sort of fills through, infiltrates the passage. 11 verse 30, he says, If I must boast, I will boast of... 12 verse 1, I must go on boasting. 12 verse 9, he says. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly. So he, he's joining in the boasting, if you like. Now what's Paul going to be boasting about? Is it how much church planting he's done? Is it his advanced theological mind? Is it the number of letters he's written? Is it the number of people who've become Christians under his influence? Is it the number of workers he's trained up? No, Paul's contribution to the boasting match is this. He's going to be boasting about weaknesses. He's going to be boasting about weaknesses. So let's finish off some of those verses I started. 11 verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. 12 verse 5. I will not boast except of my weaknesses. 12 verse 9. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. He's already been open about that already. He's talked about his uh, lack of eloquence, his bodily presence being weak, and he's going to say more about what are his apparent weaknesses. Now we mostly, don't we, we want to deny our weaknesses, we want to hide our weaknesses, we're embarrassed, we're sensitive, they're a sore point to us. But maybe there is a different view to take. Uh, Maybe this passage will help us get there. Now he does, on the way, hint at some things which they should pay attention to, which were really credentials that they ought to have absorbed and respected him for. He talks about his Jewish heritage. He talks about the experience he had of the Lord, perhaps at conversion or soon after. And then as he comes out of the full speech in chapter 12, verse 12, he talks about the signs of an apostle being done amongst them, these miracles that he had accomplished. But largely he boasts about his weaknesses. In this passage we have two main chunks and a conclusion. Two main chunks and a conclusion. I'm going to give you a glimpse of the conclusion. Uh, One, because it's very encouraging and I want it to stay in your mind. Uh, Two, because it shows the direction of where we're going as we go through the chunks. So the conclusion is in chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. If I start at the beginning of verse 9, he said, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak then am I strong. Well let's look at chunk one. And 
chunk one, which is most of the end of chapter 11, is about his hardships. His hardships. He's boasting about his hardships. And he lists here a startling list of hardships and difficulties. Most of us find one of these would be enough, and yet there's so many as we look at them. Verse 23, we, we see he talks about prison and beating and being near death. With far greater labours, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. He carries on and talks about the punishments he's received from the Jews by whipping, where they didn't want to go to the 40, so they had 39 stripes, 39 whips, and he's had it five times, according to verse 24. He had Gentile punishments as well, with rods, and he carries on about those in verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. There had been an attempted execution. Once I was stoned. Most of us had never had anything like a shipwreck, and yet Paul had experienced three of them. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. And he'd had a life of constant threat and dangers. In verse 26, he lists eight of the dangers. Look at these. Danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. And he'd lived often a very deprived life. There are things that he had lacked. He carries on in verse 27. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. He felt very burdened. Verse 28. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And so he ends this list, verse 29, who is weak and I am not weak. Well, in some ways we might think it's rather an impressive, uh, exciting, uh, adventurous, uh, daring list of things. But the reaction of the Corinth influencers was what a loser Paul is. What a loser. Do you see all these difficulties he's running? What sort of prestigious, impressive life is this? This man is a loser. He carries on with his boasting. Verse 30, I, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And he gives another incident. Now, in those days, it was possible to get an honour called the walled crown. It was a high honour, a bit like the Victoria Cross, which is our highest honour, an act of bravery for those involved with combat against the enemy. And the, the walled crown was given to the person who would first scale the wall in attacking an enemy stronghold. That was a brave thing, to first up the wall. What about Paul? He was lowered from a wall in order to escape. 
At Damascus, the governor under King Aratus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands, lowered down like a basket of fish in order that he could run away. There you go. Be impressed by me. These are my boasts, Paul is saying. He's placards really here his weakness. And we might say, and they might, oh, come on, Paul, keep quiet about those things. Those, those won't create the aura and the image that you need. If those things happen, just, just sort of shove them into the cupboard. But he lists them and he writes them. And he says, these are the hardships. This is what I went through. This is my weakness. That's the first chunk. And then we come on to the second chunk, which is his vision. So we're coming now into the chapter 12, chapter 12, verses 1 to 9 especially. Now, in many ways, this is a remarkable vision. Uh, and um, some think it's referring to his conversion. Perhaps it could be referring to some of the teaching experience he had from the Lord after his conversion. He had direct teaching from the Lord. But the emphasis in the way in which he presents it is not impressive. Verse 2, chapter 12. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. So he he does it third party. You might be thinking, is it Paul or not? Well, I think it is Paul, but he's sort of distancing himself from it. Um, it was 14 years ago. It's hardly current. It's hard to look what happened to me this last week. He didn't really know what state he was in when it happened. Was I in the body or out of the body? What sort of vision was it? And Paul, what, what did you hear? What did, what did Jesus tell you about when you had this vision? Come on, lay it down, explain it to us. And Paul says, I can't tell you. I've got to keep it to myself. And then he goes on to major on what the Lord did to humble him after that vision. Uh, we might cut that out. So that's just, you know, the editors can cut that bit out. You know, that does not gonna, that's not gonna give the, the impression we, but here Paul actually expands on it. He expands on it. Verses seven to eight. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. God sometimes gives thorns in the flesh. Our weaknesses can often feel like thorns in the flesh. What do we know about Paul's thorn in the flesh? Well, we don't know exactly actually what what it was. Some think it was his poor eyesight. Maybe it was uh, his inadequacies in speaking. Perhaps it was um, some depression he experienced. We don't know exactly. Perhaps it's most helpful we don't because then we can apply it in different ways to us. But it's obvious it was painful because it was a thorn. 
and thorns are painful. It was obviously ongoing. It was a thorn in the flesh which was painful and didn't go away. A few years ago, uh, when we were away in Norfolk, we ended up walking on the beach and there were some big thorn bushes. Somehow, I don't know how, but I got a thorn in my my thigh. A thorn in my thigh and it sort of disappeared into my thigh. There was no you know, nice big bit to get your handle on and sort of get out with some tweezers. And for weeks I had this thorn in my thigh and it was very uncomfortable and it, and it didn't go. Maybe you've had some similar experience. Satan was involved. A messenger of Satan. So the, the thing he was going through in some way was, was not good in itself. It was very much part of a fallen world, something that wouldn't be there in the final new creation or enjoyment of the Lord. It, it was harassing him. It was a constant menace. It wasn't just a one-off weakness. It was something that he constantly felt. But God was overruling this experience because in verse 7 we're told... A thorn was given me in the flesh. God allowed this to happen, was overruling it, was using it, was teaching through it. He prayed over it. He didn't like it. He didn't want it. It's not wrong to pray over our weaknesses. It's not wrong to pray over our difficulties. In fact, he so clearly remembers praying that he prayed three times about it, a bit like Jesus in Gethsemane perhaps, but it didn't leave him. So it's about his vision, but it's as much about his thorn. And God's answer wasn't extracting the thorn, though that's what he would have liked. God's answer was this in verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What a wonderful response from the Lord to his weakness, his pain, his ongoing difficulty, his frustration, his limitation. Perhaps it's something that speaks into your situations. I suspect it does. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. The kindness of Christ as you face the situation. The sufficiency of Christ as you face what is so hard. My grace is sufficient for you. The power of Christ as you feel so tremblingly inadequate and weak. For my power is made perfect in weakness. God wouldn't take away, or not at this point anyway, the situation, but he would strengthen him in it and through it. Reminded me of the verse that Izzy mentioned in her testimony this morning, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In the context of facing difficulties, hardships, which might make us discontent, but I can do all things through Christ who 
strengthens me. God would give what he lacked. God would give strength in his weakness. It reminded me of um, my first experience of public speaking. I've probably mentioned it before, some of you may remember, but it was in year 10 at school and uh, we all had to give a book review. It was their attempt to get everybody uh, getting used to being down the front. Um, Well, I was terrified and I gave my book review. I shook so much as I gave the book review that uh, two of the girls in the front row started laughing and they carried on giggling while I was doing my book review. In fact, they carried on giggling so much that they got sent out of the room. So there I launched my public speaking campaign, shaking so much that girls were sent out of the room laughing. Weakness, weakness. And yet God in his kindness and mercy strengthens us when we are weak and sometimes uses us despite our weakness. Weakness makes us turn to God for help. When we feel daunted, overwhelmed, you pray, don't you? You you seek God's help. You humbly look for his strength. That is part of what he teaches through our weakness. We might say, I I wish I didn't have this physical disability. Well, God may relieve it in some way, and uh, that would be lovely, and we pray for that. But it it may be that he has lessons through it, and it may be that instead it's it's his channel of sufficient grace and mercy to you. Uh, You might wish your social situations were easier, and perhaps they will get easier, but it may also be that God is looking to you to call upon him for grace and strength and help as you face the ongoing difficulty of social situations. You, You wish you were more gifted at leading, at speaking, at cooking, at sport, at reading, or whatever, but maybe the Lord is teaching you through your weakness. You wish your mental frame was stronger and perhaps there will be ways in which it will become stronger. But in the meantime, and maybe all through, the message is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We don't enjoy weakness, do we? So much of our weakness, thankfully, won't be part of the new creation we should try and overcome our weakness in terms of we want to be better servants, more useful in his service, so we do look to improve and equip and be helped and so far through it. But uh, all the while the weaknesses are there, and many of them remain all through our lives, some of them grow through our lives. They're great teachers. They stop us from getting too big for our boots. They make us pray. I was humbled again uh, the other day. I was trying to make something clear in a letter that I was writing out and uh, not finding it very easy. And it took me back to my work and a work situation. One of my responsibilities was to 
write out about employment conditions to the other personnel departments in Kent County Council. And I was writing one of those memos trying to make clear how people should understand this condition of service. And the more I wrote and the more I tried to clear up, the more complicated I could feel it became. But the memo went out. And a couple of weeks later, uh, somebody showed me uh, the police staff newspaper. Police were part of King County Council at that stage. And there was the police staff newspaper, which went around to all the police force in Kent. And what was in there? My memo. (laughs) Being mocked for how confusing and difficult it was to understand. And it had been broadcast to everyone. That reminded me again that I have the capacity for making some things much more complicated than they need to be. It's humbling, and I realise I need God's strength and help as I go forward. So, his vision, his weakness, and what he learned from that weakness in humbling him and making him see the need for the help of the Lord. Well, we come to our conclusion, which is in verses 9 and 10. The first part of 9 we've referred to, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. But then you have more the conclusion from the therefore, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He seems at ease with his weaknesses. He doesn't feel the need to hide them, pretend they're not there. He, he talks, doesn't he, about being content with weaknesses. We normally get a bit prickly if we're on the subject of our weakness. But Paul is willing to talk about it, to be content about it. I think we've probably got some progress to make, don't you, in this? What are the weaknesses that you're most sensitive about? I'm not talking so much here about sins. We, We don't rest content with sins, but just inadequacies, just weaknesses. Things we're not good at. You know, things that you look at others and they just feel so much more polished on it than you. Well, I thought I, I, I ought to be thinking about this for myself. I'm not going to list for you all my weaknesses. But I, I thought of this area. Some leaders seem to have a, a big, clear vision. They seem to know where we need to be. They have a five-point plan for the next five years. 
And they say, this is how we need to arrange ourselves. This is how we need to organise ourselves. These are the steps we've got to take. It's very plain. They communicate it very clearly. People can follow their vision. They are visionary leaders. And I find that difficult. Sometimes I try. Uh, It doesn't normally seem to work when I've done it in the past. I often find situations are much more sensitive and complicated than the, the five bullet points that I'd like to come up with. I'm not sure it fits all situations, but some are very gifted at, at clarity of leadership, of leading others with clear sense of direction. And I can feel a bit intimidated. I see them come into new roles and it's all very clear and they're going forward and I think, well, I just can't see it with that clarity. I can't give a five-year five plan. If we were to list visionary leaders in order of their ability, I would be at the low end. As we used to say, when visionary leadership was dished out, I was one in the last in the queue and I got some of the leftovers. And it's a weakness. And it's something I feel sensitive about sometimes. I wish it was different. I wish I had more clarity. Well, what might it be for you? I'm saying that to get you thinking. We have got weaknesses. What would it be for you that you just feel overshadowed and hopeless in and struggle? And yet the teaching here is that we can, in a sense, rest in, in our weakness. We can be content. We can have a measure of being glad in our weakness. Why? Because we're being taught our need for God's help. Why? Because it glorifies God as he helps us when we so evidently struggle ourselves. Why? Because it makes us pray and humbly seek the Lord. And we find that in our weaknesses we are made strong. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. One of the little phrases we come up against in Hebrews 11, uh, I emailed out to a group of ministers that I'm involved with, caught my eye. In weakness, we're made strong. I think referring to Gideon. In weakness, we're made strong. And you can think of different biblical examples of this that may well come up in the home groups this week as we pick up this theme. Some Bible examples of people in their weakness who by God's grace and strength were made strong. It is a biblical pattern to be weak and then to have God's strong power being at work in us. So we don't need to be so embarrassed and sensitive about our weakness. The Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is the the great example of all things. 
And in chapter 13 and verse 4, you have this. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. Jesus was willing to put himself in a place of weakness where he knew God's strength and now reigns in a position of tremendous power. A biblical pattern then to acknowledge our weakness, to learn from it and to enjoy the grace of God giving us strength as we go forward. Well, I hope it's helpful to look at that theme of weakness from these passages. We're going to sing a lovely song in a moment, um, which relates really well to what we've been looking at. But I suspect there are some personal things to think and pray about um, in relation to what we've been thinking of this evening. So we'll just have a little quiet time for personal prayer before we sing our final song. Well, our closing song then is What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. And as we sing through the rest of the song, you'll see the way in which it links in with the theme that we've been on this evening.
hope we feel encouraged that you deal with us in our weakness. We thank you that your word speaks into our inadequacies. We pray that that will help us to face up ourselves to some of those areas of weakness, uh, to seek your strength as we go forward. And we pray that uh, it will teach us lessons of humility and dependence and prayerfulness. Forgive us when we're prickly and defensive rather than acknowledging the gaps and the difficulties. And we pray that the theme of this evening might be a profoundly helpful one to us as we go forward and to some especially feeling so daunted by their current situation and the way forward. We pray that the sufficient, merciful grace of Christ and his power may be a tonic for them as they go forward. And this we pray in his name. Amen.